The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today, we're discussing an occupation in a world we have yet to cover. We are talking day trading, and we are talking day trading with a 21-year-old, Mitch Hennessy, aka Hugh underscore Henny on Twitter. Now, if you go check him out on Twitter, you could actually pin your tweets. That means it'll be right at the top. And his pinned tweet, you will see that he posted, ready for this? 1,925% returns. The 21-year-old stud turned 50,000 into over a million in a four-month period. And that was just the start. And let me tell you, it hasn't stopped. We talk about how he started, what he does on a day-to-day basis when he gets up, when he goes to sleeps. We talk about his specific strategy. We talk about how much he made on his best day. We talk about how much he lost on his worst day. He discloses it all. And honestly, my jaw hit the floor a few times in this discussion. If you hear any business, you know, finance or trading language jargon that we're saying, and it's not explained in the main portion of this podcast, we tried to do that. But that's why we have the voice of the viewer. David Arduin at the end, he asks me everything he's confused about. It was even like a glossary section. He's like, what what did this word mean? So if you're confused, definitely stay in touch and wait till the recap. But I'll also tell you this. If you find any interest in day trading or want to just give it a shot yourself, you can do it with fractional shares. As little as $10 on the app that I own called Fintron. And right now it's free. And we're also giving $20 away. So it's very educational based and you can make trades yourself. So if you hear this and you're interested in Fintron, just shoot me an email at restart at jasontardic.com. Tell me you're interested. We'll send you the link that'll give you $20 for free when you sign up. So let's quickly talk about what day trading is, right? It's active traders who are executing trades intraday within one session to profit off the price changes of a given asset. And I say asset because you probably think stocks, but also people will trade commodities. People will trade currencies like FX trading is a big thing. And what we're talking about is day trading. So it's all done in one day, one session. But you'll also hear Hugh talk about swing trading, which involves holding a position for more than one trading session. And when people make these quick transactions and make quick gains, it's interesting because it's you got to know how they're taxed. It's taxed as a short-term capital gain, which is actually taxed upon just like your ordinary income. So that's up to 37%, just depends on what your tax bracket is. Before we bring Hugh on though, I got to tell you about the longevity of day traders because the statistics are eye-opening. Among all day traders, only 40% of them day trade for over a month. Within three years, Only 13% of those who started are day trading. And after five years, 7%. One, because it is a wild time commitment. And two, it's a tough gig. But if it's a gig you could do well, holy hell, you can make a lot of money. And Hugh Henney tells us all about that and his strategies. And it's just not about the strategy of swing trading or trading on news or arbitrage. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this, especially the psychology. 
What happens in a day you lose over $200,000 at the age of 21? Hugh Henney is going to tell us. And he's going to tell us right here, right now. Welcome to another episode of Trading Secrets. Hopefully, this one is one you can't afford to miss. It's Mitchell Hennessy, aka Mr. Hugh Henny on Twitter. Hugh, thank you. I don't know. Do I call you Hugh? Do I call you Mitch? Do I call you Mr. Hugh Henny? What do you go by? You can call me Mitch. Um, you know, I go by Hugh on Twitter, and it's funny. It was it was like the worst, best kept secret on Twitter. You know, I watch your stories on a uh, on Restart almost every day, and uh, and I think it's awesome. In your personal bio. The overpriced MBA. The first time that I saw it when I went to follow you, I was like, dude, I was like, this is, <laughs> this is my man right here. <laughs> I love it, dude. I feel that way. I grinded in corporate America 10 years. It was brutal. My listeners have a broad spectrum of, of finance business and it's all yeah. over the place, A to Z. So let's just talk like the bare bones, day trader, young kid makes millions of dollars doing it. Talk to me about what is a, a day in the life of a day trader? What does it look like? When do you wake up? What research you're doing? When do you stop? Break it down for me. Yeah, that's a really great question. So we started our own podcast, which has really thrown me through a little bit of a scheduling loophole, okay. if you will, because I've been doing almost the same thing for four years. Um, I'm finishing up college. And so that's really given me the keys to be able to stay in a routine um, and taking classes throughout the entire so year. So you're doing this all while you're in college. Yeah. So where are you going to school? The college of New Jersey, baby. Damn. Um, good for you. Yeah. So ideally knock on, knock on wood. I'll be uh, graduated uh, this coming May. boy, Congrats. All right. Yeah. So I, I, I interrupted, but keep it going. Yeah. So uh, usually it starts out by I'm waking up four or 4.30. And that's really because that's when, you know, you start to see volume inside the market really start to pick up. And so if I have a large position in something and bad news drops on that, I mean, this thing could be in the gutter by the time that I wake up at 7am. So four to 4.30, I'm up. I'm checking news. I just want to see what's going on. I want to make sure that the market's not I got a 101 question for you. So yeah. a listener says, well, he wakes up at four o'clock and he sees volume, you know, break it down. How are you seeing volume if the market's not open? Mitch, how would you explain that? That's a really good question. And so the way that the way that most brokers work, which, you know, my mom who who has recently started trying to day trade, you know, she didn't understand that the market, although the official times are 9.30 to 4 Eastern time, mm -hmm. uh, technically the market is open 4 a.m. to 8 p.m every single, well, every single business day. Exactly. So, so for the people that don't know, yep, that's a, a, the perfect explanation. And that's why it's uh, people think like day traders. I think that the typical uh, connotation is day trader. Oh, you work a couple hours a day. <laughs> no, it starts at 4 a.m. So, so walk me through that. You're up yeah. at 4 a.m. Where are you doing the research? And tell me uh, what, what happens when the market opens. Yeah. So it's awesome. I think, I think what you put together every day, you know, kind of a breakdown of what's happening inside the market. Um, you put it on your Instagram stories. And I think you tweet them you know, what's going on inside the market. That's exactly what I do. I turn on CNBC or, or I go to, you know, just my normal stock trading news app on TD Ameritrade. And I'm just looking at the different headlines. So like there's tons of things going on. So I'm just kind of reading the news, uh, seeing what's going on. Not necessarily that has to pertain to the market, but everything pertains to the market, if that makes right. sense. 
No, it makes perfect sense. And so as you're doing your research and you're putting your day together, what is like a, a like from a bank? So we just had a professional poker player on and she talked all about That's her awesome. bankroll management and of course, managing the risk associated with it for you before you get trading. Do you have a certain dollar amount that you're going to deploy on a, on a certain day? And what does your, your investment philosophy and strategy look like going into the day? And obviously it changes, I'm sure, but give me the, yeah. the baseline of it. Yeah. So the way that I really work my accounts is that a majority of my money comes from swinging. So that means that, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm digging into a company and I'm holding this for probably around six to 10 weeks. That's really where it's going. But then I also day trade because, you know, you still got to keep the lights on and I can't just (laughs) hope for, because I I have been wrong. I've been deadly wrong. So, you know, I can't hope and bank on that. So I do day trade. So the way that I really break down my accounts is that I have 20% of my, let's call it portfolio inside a long account or inside like a day trading account. And so at that time, you know, I could be moving anywhere from throughout the day, $1 million to up to $3 million. And that's the way that I really like to handle it because I'm not, a great day trader. I, you know, there's tons of people that like to, you know, uh, do technical analysis and draw tons of lines across sure. the, and, and that's not my game. You know, I'll make a few dollars to, to keep the lights on and to keep me a little busy and to keep my hand in the game. But, mm-hmm. um, that's not where the majority of my money is coming from. Gotcha. And so you obviously have your long positions and then you do the day trading to keep the lights on. Talk to people. People are like, okay, so are you talking about Apple or Amazon? People yeah. that are just like, I don't know what this exactly means. Mitch, break it down. Are you to penny stocks, mid cap, large yeah. cap? Break it down for the one yeah, so listener. The way that I really like to think about it is that the market goes through cycles. Mm-hmm. And when the market goes through cycles, different things heat up. And what I mean by that is that different things have really great liquidity. So and most people don't know this, but 80% of the market is actually controlled by algorithms and, com- and computers. Mm-hmm. And so it really doesn't matter that t- millions of people are coming to the market. That does influence the market. But on days where, you know, we, I'd like to think that like the invisible hand on the market mm-hmm. goes away, that's when you see those flushes down um, and things like that. So in 2018, it was like Christmas Eve. There, The market dropped after hours like, three and a half percent on like some nonsense headline. And that's because there was no bids there because the algorithms were turned off. And that, that, that seems like really complex to think about. But if you just think about it, there's the computers control 80% of the market. And when those are off, I mean, watch out below. That, that's kind of the way to think about it. And, they, and what I mean by, by the cycle of the sectors is that so when the market's going down, penny stocks heat up. And when, when the market's heating up, different sectors inside the market heat up. Yep. It makes sense. And that also correlates to, I think, I think it does to a tweet you put out this morning. And I think it was, you know, market's down 3%, yeah. uh, no buy, 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 take a deep breath. So yeah. what did exactly, what'd you mean by that? And how does that correlate to what you just brought up from a strategy perspective? Yeah. So a lot of my Twitter followers are either investors, day traders, swing traders, you know, there's all types of people. And the thing that we have to remember as not only investors and day traders, because you know an investor is someone who's going to hold it for a minimum of, let's call it three years. Um, a day trader is someone who could be holding it for seconds. Everybody has to remember that the market's only... So, so I was looking at things that were down 10, 15%. Like uh, there was a stock Baidu, B-I-D-U. And this thing oh, yeah. was down like 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I know. Yeah, I'm not familiar oh, with the stock. Yeah. So yeah. So it was down huge, and there was just so much selling pressure. And so when you when you look at it, you know, you have to say, okay, let's take a deep breath. The market is still up like a hundred percent from this time <laughs> last year. Like that's insane. So right. you know, it, it, so you have to think about it. there's there's a lot more downside risk than there is upside risk. But at the same time, just because the market's down two percent or 3% from all-time highs does not mean that we are going back to, you know, a thousand. As far as the market goes, you want to wait till everything settles. Let the emotions get out and then reassess, okay? If D-Day is coming, then then we can do it. But But let's take a minute, wait for the open volume. So that means like, uh, like the first hour of trading in the day. Let's mm-hmm. take a deep breath let things settle and then let's assess the bigger picture. And if you did assess the bigger picture and didn't sell, the market's green right now. So it's fascinating how it works. And I yeah. mean, you take that emotional uh, lesson, you could apply it literally to every aspect of your life, dealing with yeah. people, partner, business partners, and the obviously bachelor. trading. The bachelor, I'll tell you what, <laughs> emotional management, no phone, no TV, no internet, no yeah, friends. You're in their little crazy. bubble. You got to break that shit open. And we'll talk about that because <laughs> I'm going to come on your podcast and we'll open that up. I can't um, wait. That'll be yeah. fun, man. But you did talk a little bit about um, the first hour of the day. And so people that aren't familiar yeah. with day trading at all, talk a little bit about how important that first hour is. Do you transact? How important the closing hour is? And as far as your positions, are you utilizing... Uh, are you just buying stocks? Are you using options? Do you short? Are you using yeah. call or put options? What, what does it usually look like? Or a mix of, of everything? Yeah. So that's a really great question. So I really like to be as diverse as possible because not for nothing... I went to school for my parents. My plan was never to work for anybody. I, I really never, I would rather work three FedEx shifts in a row for like, I would rather work like 18 hours a day than go work, you know, corporate world. That, that's, that was never me. And, Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so for me, that was never a choice, but I promised my parents who had never gotten their degrees that I would get my college degree. So I did the bare minimum. Like I have like a two, two, three right now. You have to graduate <laughs> with like a two, two. So that was kind of, that was like, that was really why I went to school. And so I wanted to make this work. So I wanted to be as diverse as possible. So there are some days where the range on the market. So what that means is that the market can can go up. Uh, you know, let's call it four percent. But in the same day, it can go down three percent. You know, there's a lot of shares being traded inside the market. When that happens, I like to trade options on Tesla and Spy. Uh, Spy being the index yes. of the yes. market. And the reason I like to do that is because you can catch a small move on the overall picture, you can catch a small move and the option moves way more. So if the market only moves 0.2%, the option will move almost 20% sometimes. There's a little more to it, but in in a sense, that's kind of that's kind of the way that I, that I like that. And then I also like to short micro caps. So micro cap is anything a hundred sub a hundred million, sub sub a billion, anything in that realm. I like to short that. And so what that means is, is that let's just say that the stock is up 200%, but it shouldn't be up 200% on the news. It should only be up 20%. So I'm going to short wherever I feel is good is a good place. And then I'm making money on, on the down, on the downtrend. 
uh, I, hopefully, hopefully on the downtrend um, when, when the price stabilizes and comes to equilibrium. That's beautiful. And for anyone that's listening right now, and, and maybe there's some jargon being used by Mitch that you're just like, I don't understand. Stay tuned to the recap. We're going to do a little one-on-one summary on the SPY, all the things that he's talking about, what they mean. So stay with us. But so Mitch, to that point, it's funny. I'm, I'm just, guys, you obviously you can't see this, right? Because we're only using the video for 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 uh, clickbait to get you to listen to this podcast and swipe <laughs> up. But I'm talking to a kid. I mean, he's a kid, 21 years old, and he's talking about a million dollars, $3 million. It's wild to see uh, the ambition, the strategy. And I think for anyone out there, um, it's never too late. It's never too late to get in the game. And I want to talk about a little bit more about your game that I saw your pin tweet. Okay. And this is the fact that in four months, this is a cool story. And guys, remember, this is a kid. I look, I look at my, I feel like I'm looking at myself 10 years ago, chugging uh, Bush lights for 25 cents. And here you see it's turning 50,000 into a million in over four months. I saw that tweet. So Thank I'm you. assuming, yeah, I mean, you put the picture there. It's accurate. Yeah. You got the proof. How'd you do that? What was the strategy? How did you make that happen? Yeah. So that's also what kind of lighted uh, Hugh Henny. Hugh Henny's really just follower stores. The catalyst of it, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that was, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like clickbait, you know, like you see that and you're like, all right, like what's going on here? And so at that time I had been trading, I I had had three years of thousand percent wins, but you know, I'm young. I, um, I didn't have tons of money. I had worked three jobs during the summer um, but I still hadn't had, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to play with. And so what would happen is that I would get to about 120,000 and then between taxes and donations and everything else, I'd be back to like sub 20,000 the next year. And that was, and that was really frustrating for me because, you know, living in New Jersey and trying to, you know, be fortunate enough to donate by when everything was all said and done, I was back to 20,000 every year for three years. So I decided to take out a student loan for a little bit of money and add that to um, my day trading capital. Using leverage, I like it. Yeah, using leverage, um, using leverage and really making the bet on myself because I knew that I couldn't make this work if I came out of college and was only really netting $20,000 a year. I, I knew that that wasn't going to work. That, that wasn't going to work if I did that forever. So I really needed to step it up somehow. So I either had to make more money or I had to keep making a thousand percent years with bigger capital. And so I decided to go that route because hitting a thousand percent, I know that, that, that that's not going to happen forever. I, I would love for that to happen forever, but I, I knew that that wasn't going to happen forever. Yep. And even if you're, I mean, yeah, I love the strategy there because probably, I don't know if it's federal or private student debt, the interest rates in the six to like, I don't know, seven, eight range. And if you can, if you could even hit 10, 12% on an annual basis, it's yeah. a net net win. I think most young kids too are like, where do you actually get the nest? How do you actually get the cash to yeah. do it? Obviously working. And that's a good strategy too. So your podcast is doing great. You have over 2,500 reviews. Congratulations on that. Thank some you. of the, I dig into some of the, a lot of positive reviews and some of the negative yeah. reviews were saying, like trying to make accusations of pumping and dumping stocks. Yeah. What would your retort or response be to those people? Yeah, you know, it's tough because the market, there's always people that win and people that lose. And so when yeah. I do make an opinion like Kramer, um, the, the stock always, the stock sometimes sees extra eyes, which sure. makes extra volume. And sure. that comes with anything. And so I'm sure, like, I haven't been right on things. I'm, in mm-hmm. fact, 
I'm probably wrong more often than I'm right. <laughs> and, and when it comes down to it, I think it's the intentions of people. You know, it, yeah. it, I think that, you know, that word gets thrown around a lot. And yeah. I don't necessarily, there are, so for anyone that doesn't know, pumping and dumping is referred to as, I, I'm not sure the defin, the specific definition, but mm-hmm. I think it's putting out false information or hyping up a stock to then sell it. I, mm-hmm. I think that's the right thing. So right. Uh, in the 2000s, this was used against companies who wanted to inflate their share price during uh, acquisitions. Mm-hmm. They would put out, you know, they would pay people who were promoters and these people would hype up the stock, the stock would go up and then into an inflated valuation. Right. And then they would sell all their shares into it. And I think that that's where it kind of comes in and, and I think that's tough because there's, there are people with paid chat rooms who have been caught. Uh, what they do is that they have like a paid subscriber service sure, sure. and they're like, oh my God, this stock's going to the moon. And then all of a sudden, you know, it goes up 20%. And then all of a sudden this guy sells into it. And, and right. I think that that's where the, where it really gets thrown out. But like I said, I'm a catalyst trader. So I'm holding things for six weeks. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, the, the idea behind pump and dump too, right? Is that you're using like a marketing scheme to make the money off it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it, when you are a day trader and you're putting your opinion out there, uh, that's going to, ha- you got to put your opinion, you got to go with it. And people are going to always yeah. accuse you of pump and dump. The thing is, is with anything like a pump and dump, there are regulators out there looking into that, yeah. right? I mean, every SEC, FINRA, they're all over it. Have you ever had to deal with any of that? Or like, what do you do to actually kind of keep regulation and regulators uh, aside in such a regulated industry? Yeah. Yes. That's a really good question. So luckily I have not had to deal with that. I I have not had to deal with that. I do have uh, a a few lawyers, you know, for, for the podcast and for, and for myself, just to make sure that I'm not, you know, putting out anything because I am not a uh, licensed security. Like I, you know, I mean, I'm just, yeah, you know, I'm a 22 year old who who's trading <laughs> stocks, you know, and I put my opinion out there. So my Twitter is really like my journal. You know, people get to look into it, um, sure. and and that's how that's how I handle it. Um, you know, it's my journal where I put my where I put my thoughts. You know, do do with it what you will. And so, luckily, I have not had to deal with that. I watch the law super closely, and mm-hmm. you know, as long as you're really not. I think for for a trader standpoint, as long as you're really not trading on material information or doing something similar to the pump and dump, mm-hmm. um, or or there was a guy that was caught for uh, trading over the counter stocks. Listen to this: sure. he um, created fake press releases and Jesus. he actually bought a website that was like a news website. And so he would he created fake press releases and fake emails from CEOs. And so the CEO, I believe it was the CEOs that he faked his son caught it on Twitter. And so, uh, so that guy's in some, in some, in some hot water. So wild. I think, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That I mean, is crazy. I mean, they'll do anybody will do anything these days to get an angle or a shot. But I think back to your point, like as long as you're putting it out there that this is yeah. my journal, this is what I'm doing. Do with what you will. I'm not convincing marketing or sell exactly. you to do anything. And if you want to follow me, sure. If you want to make the same trade, so be it. But that's, that's up to you. That's not me. You're the decision maker. Exactly. And know that I lose tons. Like, I mean, I lose, you know, like I said, probably more times than, than I don't. And that's, you know, it comes back to baseball. 
you get into the, what's the saying? It's like, uh, you know, if you hit three out of 10 times, you get into the hall of fame. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. I yeah. want to take a little lighter note. I appreciate you answering those. Uh, yeah. you know, I already talked about the fact I was 21 crushing, you know, quarter beers in upstate New York, uh, at a SUNY Geneseo. And so I'm wondering, Matt, if I had millions when I was 21, I would have been dangerous. So at your age, you got this money, you're kicking ass. Like, yeah. what do you do for fun? What, what's it look like? What's the nightlife look like? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So recently, I've I've started to enjoy my profits a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like, for instance, instead of buying a Ferrari, I invested in in a weed company, in a private weed cool. company. You know, like like Class A shares, and, yeah. and so things like that. You know, that's kind of how how I've always thought about it. My my parents grew up poor. My my father. He'll, he'll come in for this, but you know, he's the hardest working man I know. He left his home at 14 and he was out on his own since. And, and my mother came from a family of 12 and they were all grinders and busters. So, you know, I've been able, I've been blessed with parents who, you know, were able to teach me about hard work and about perseverance. And, and, you know, I have a heart condition. That's what got me into all this. My, my cousin, Jim, you know, great guy start, works at a hedge fund. He got me into all this. So the money really, you know, it, it's great, but I really love our job. And so I have recently started to enjoy our money more or my money more, you know, really just down to like little things like, you know, I would wear the same shoes for, for two years at a time. So, so now I have multiple pairs of the same shoe that I wear, or for instance, you know, I just started using like a private driver and things of that nature. Or like, you know, I live in a beautiful apartment now, um, something that, you know, I could never imagine, you know, I started investing in watches, you know, which I also get to wear just things of that nature that, you know, I mean, even this mic set, you know, it, it was $500, which 10 years ago or not five years ago, you know, yeah. I, I would never, ever spend that kind of money. So, um, you know, it, it's really just the little things for me. I used to, my, my hundred thousand dollar days, I would go and get sushi and that was like my big splurge. So, so recently, you know, I'm flying my first, first class air trip on uh, April 9th. And, and so, so it's like, I'm still getting, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be better with it, but it's like, you know, I was going to buy a Ferrari and instead I was able to invest inside, inside a weed company, you know, which I see you know, things of that nature. So I'm always looking to compound. That's good. That's good. Obviously, you know, take care of yourself, invest in yourself. But um, I think you're right at a young age when you're making a ton of money, if you can create create autonomy so that, you know, you can do what you want, when you want, yeah. where you want and not report to anyone in that corporate system, as long as you live, that'll pay dividends exactly. much greater than any Ferrari will for sure. But yeah. if you get to that point, just rip it and, you know, do what you got to do. Think about one trading secret, trading secret that is, I mean, you know, don't give us any insider trading. We don't want any bullshit here. <laughs> any more blogs going on. Are you accusing me? Uh, come on, I'm not accusing you. I'm not <laughs> accusing you. It's on the record. But give us uh, you know, an inside trading secret yeah. to your life or something that someone could apply to theirs. But before we do it, let's crack into the vault. Here we go. So the first question, what is one skill set that differentiates you from other traders? Oh, I have a great stomach for this. So I really don't... You know, I mean, I'll, I'll take a million dollar option position and not blink twice, something like that. And, and that's part of this thing is that, is that one of the reasons that people fail is because the second that they see red, they sell. And, and that's not, you know, and, and as long as you can manage it a little bit, you know, I mean, uh, when I feel it, I go heavy and I push it. 
Hugh Henny's like Rocky, man. This guy will take punches <laughs> left and right, but he's going to keep taking punches. <laughs> I love it. All right. I give you a million bucks right now. Right now, I put a million bucks in yeah. your account. We end this call and you have to build a strategy with it and execute it today. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. So that's a really good question. I think where the market is right now, it's kind of in a range. And I talk about this a little bit is that until it breaks up or breaks down, you know, we really want to be cash heavy until it does one or the other. And so if it breaks down, you know, you're going to be looking for, for things that, you know, run when the market, when the market is inside a downtrend. And, uh, and then on the flip side, you're going to be looking for those opportunities. And if it breaks out, that's when you want to look for those things that have like a huge beta that are just going to run wild with the market. You know, that, that would kind of be my strategy until we get out of this range. We've kind of been in this range for, for almost two months now. And I think until we see a clear break to the upside or the downside, you know, it's, it's good to stay safe. Good stuff. All right. So he'll use it in cash, wait to see what he, what's going to happen and then deploy every dollar of it. All right. What is, who's like your favorite uh, superstar trader? Oh man, you know, everybody, everybody talks about him, but this Zach Morris, I mean, he's one of my closest friends. Um, and he is just in, he's just a monster. He made 20 million in a day. Um, last year I was going for like a quarter of his P and L per day. And now I'm not, I'd be lucky to touch, uh, you know, like a 10th. I mean, he's just a tank and he's the most humble guy. He's just so humble. That is awesome. Great answer. And yeah. you could follow him, Zach Morris on Twitter, right? Oh yeah. oh yeah. Okay. Love it. What is the best daily return and what is the worst daily return you've ever had? My best daily return, it was on the account, like percentage wise or like number wise? Number wise. Yeah. So number wise, it was 743,000 between all the accounts. You right made 740,000 in a day. But then I, I lost like 200 like the next day. So, wow. so yeah. So Swings, that was done. Yes, dude, the swings are great. And, and on the account, I, I had done 150% on my account. Um, uh, it was only, it only amounted to about, uh, I think $300,000, but the stock went like 700%. So, so my account went up like 150% in a day. And I was like, I was sitting inside a test and I left the test inside the middle of it because my friends and I were all inside this stock. And we were like, professor, like we have to go. Like, like this stock's up 700%. He was like, you show me that right now, I'll let you leave. And did he let you leave? Oh, we let us leave. We ran back to our house. It, it was, it was awesome. I can imagine like if I had my producer hat on, this would be a great TV show. You get like five kids, throw them in a mansion. They're all traders and they're making <laughs> 700K a day and then they go eat sushi and party. Yeah. Holy hell. What the a biggest life. loss was actually on SAVA. Um, okay. They're an Alzheimer's company. They yep. came out with mad data results because sure. Alzheimer's is super tough. But um, yeah. they basically came out and said that they think that they may be able to have good data in the future. And the stock went nuts. It, and um, I was short it because I was like, this is, this is nonsense. Like this is, yeah. this doesn't make sense. And I lost 600,000. Wow. And uh, so that was uh, the bad thing is that i sold all my shares at a 110. It hit like 114 or 117 and ended the day at 50. So that was, uh, and that was actually only in January. So that was a rather tough, uh, that was a tough blow. I can imagine. So on a day like that, you're probably eating ramen noodles, not sushi. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. So you got a killer start at a young age. What's your next big dream for career and professional sake? Yeah, that's awesome. So I really, I, you know, that's something that I think about a lot. And right now I work, you know, I have the greatest job, but right now, you know, there's some times where I'm, I'm working 
18, 19 hours a day for, you know, weeks, months. So I would like to get to a point to where I don't have to do that. Um, you know, like I said, is that I'm, I'm kind of starting to do more VC stuff, you know, actually cool. after this phone call, I have, I have my second startup meeting, uh, you know, negotiation with a fintech. And, and so I would like to get to a point to where, you know, I kind of move into more of like a VC role and do just swings. Um, but I'm not at that point yet. I, I love what I'm doing. And, and also one of the goals I always had was opening up a, kind of like a campus for um, special needs kids and, and you know, somewhere where, you know, cause after 18, 21, they really don't have many places to go. And, and that was something that's always been super special to me. And, and so I would love to just create like a mass campus where they, they have some freedom, they they're still learning and they also get to work, but it's all for them. It, it's for them. That's something where I would really like to, you know, ideally I get to a certain level and, and that's, that that's my that's my that's my passion. That's great. It's awesome to hear that you're finding ways to accelerate monetization while taking workload off, but then thinking about what you could do to you know create a legacy and really make an impact for the fortune you've had, which is is just incredible. All right, Mitch. Before we let you go, man, one trading secret. It's the name of the podcast. We need one trading secret from your yeah. life, your world, your profession that someone might be able to apply to theirs that otherwise they would have never been able to get unless they heard it from you. What do you got for us? Yeah, that's awesome. So I haven't even actually put this on my own podcast yet, but there's this web website called Finviz. That's F-I-N-V-I-Z. And yep. you can search for different companies by different, by different materials. And so one thing that I love to see, because a lot of people don't like fundamentals anymore. Mm-hmm. I still love fundamentals. I think that they are an important part of trading and of course, investing. And so one thing that is really awesome um, about Finviz is that you can search by multiple parameters. And so one thing that is really awesome to see, and uh, one of the things that can really narrow down a list of, or, or give some great ideas is something with high ownership. So if the ownership um, of the company is super high, let's call it above 25%, then that means that the owners are tr- like, they really believe in this. If you see sure. something with like sub 1% and the market cap's not that much, you know, that's, that's almost a red flag. Um, okay, yeah. So 25% ownership and so 25% ownership, you want to see, um, you know, something with w- the revenue is I like to see revenue year over year up, let's call it 20%, because then that just narrows it down a little bit. Cause you want to see a, a company growing. And then, um, and then from there, the last thing that I do is that I s- sort through the charts. So I don't want something that's up huge. I want something that has seen a catastrophic drop. Like that's so I'll give you an example. Rumble. Yeah, okay. Rumble on last year. They're a, they're a used car company. Give um, us the ticker on it. RMBL. There you go. Okay. Yep. They were so now they're now they're trading at around $50 a share or something and they did a reverse split. But pre-reverse split, they were trading sub a dollar. And um this thing had huge inside ownership. They were down 80% and they were up 400% in revenue year over year. And the reason that they were down so much, because that's always the, the, the billion dollar question, you know, sure. why is it down? Is that they had this huge warehouse fire in Tennessee and it obliterated, obliterated their entire inventory. inventory. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. Inventory. Wow. And um, what I found inside one of the filings was that they were going to receive a $200 million check, insurance uh, potentially 200 million, minimum 70 million, something along those lines. And the market cap was like a hundred million. I was like, this thing is going to like this thing. And again, the rev, the revenue was up 400%, but the stock was down 80%. I was like, this thing is so, so that would have been post split would have been trading at around $4 a share. It's mm-hmm. now trading at like 50. Wow. Fantastic trading secret. I actually use FinViz every day. And the yeah. thing is too, is like you can, you can purchase uh, an option where you'll get more visibility to things, but the free exactly. option is like really solid too. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a hell of a trading secret for anyone out there. F-I-N-V-I-Z.com. We should both call them Mitch and get a sponsorship by them just for plugging them like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm a college kid. I need, I need, I need money. Please. Bring that cash in. Yeah. <laughs> and so before we wrap up, this has been awesome, informative, informative and insightful. Mitch, where can people, if they want to hear more from you, learn about some of your day trades and the success you've had, where can they find all the stuff you got going on? Yeah. So like I said, my Twitter is Hugh Henny, Hugh underscore Henny. My Instagram is just Hugh, no underscore Henny. And uh, like I said, my podcast, Penny's Going in Raw, you can find it on all your major uh, streaming networks. That's uh, We're really excited about that. Good stuff, man. Congratulations on everything. Thank you for being here on Trading Secrets and we'll be sure to keep in touch. Thanks for having me. Ding, ding, ding. Welcome back to another closing bell where we are breaking down the kid, the day trading kid. Wow. 700K in one day, two $400,000 losses in a day, trading with one to $3 million. The list goes on Mitch Hennessy. That is a lot to unpack. I'm blown away, but also really appreciate that episode. So what are we doing in our recap? We're doing what we always do. We're bringing in the one, the only, the voice of the viewer, the curious Canadian to break down all his thoughts and asking me any questions he has as it relates to that wild podcast we just had. So David, thanks for being back in the hot seat and doing a recap with me. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you there, bud. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, a really, really great episode. Um, I wasn't able to be on this one. So I listened to the listened to the interview before the recap. And I yeah. got to tell you, I get the video of these interviews and this guy is 21 years old. I already <laughs> know he's a million. He's well, he makes has made a million dollars from 50K. He's drinking a beer before the episode starts. I'm like, there's no chance I'm going to like this guy. Wait, was, he was drinking a beer before that. I think he started? sipped a green. I saw him drink a green bottle like before, like when you guys were kind of just like getting into it at the start. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to like this guy. I didn't think you'd like him. And I liked him. I liked him a lot. I, ha- I have right here in front of me. I said, I hate that I like this guy. And so you do I, like him. I do. What's there not to like? He was, I thought he was going to be br- like very like <laughs> brash. I, and, I like this guy. <laughs> like two alphas going against each other. That's probably why I wouldn't like him. But he was like surprisingly like calm and patient, not just in his demeanor, but like his approach to trading. I thought he'd be like very arrogant, but he was, he was smart and he was, uh, he was, you know, pretty educational too, as, as like, just like a common listener. I thought it was a really, really, really great episode. Something we haven't really touched on yet. Yeah. It's a whole different profession a different age that has achieved just extreme success. And I got to say this, I think naturally anyone here that hears a 21 year old say like, yeah, you know, I celebrate my hundred thousand dollars day, just grabbing some sushi. Like anyone's like, ew, but I'll tell you this. I liked it. I thought he was like 
humble. That, I thought he was educational. I liked him. And I think, David, let's just be honest because I think that's we're pretty good at that is like just being somewhat self-aware. If we were making that kind of money at 21, we would have yeah. been the biggest shitbags on the planet. You just took the words out of my mouth. It's like the, re- the fact that his like <laughs> celebration is sushi on 100K is why I ended up liking him because I thought he would have been like, oh, I'm 21. I just made 100K in a day. I live in Hoboken. I'm taking my private car service to New York City and I'm spending 80 of that at the club. So I'm like... Bo- it's exactly. But actually, before I get into your curious Canadian questions and breakdowns, mm-hmm. I know there's a lot to break down in this one. Mm-hmm. I got to ask you this. Now I'm curious. If I, get, if I put a million dollars of liquid cash in your account at 21, right? Yeah. At 21, I said it in the episode, we were yeah. literally going to the IB at Geneseo for 25 <laughs> cent beers and 50 cent wings. Yeah. Like... We were a part of kind of like living in college and being broke is that process of like grinding for the dollar, understanding mm-hmm. the value. If I put a million dollars in your account at that age, where do you think you'd be today? Well, I was so far away from where he was just like maturity wise. I would have called my mom and been like, what do I do? Like, I wouldn't have any capability of making decisions for a million dollars. So I would have just probably asked like, what do I do with this? I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't have capitalized in the way that I probably would have put in a savings account and maybe like, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly, I mean, I'd like to say like, a, you know, responsible answer like that. And yeah. even someone who was in, you know, my grandfather taught me finance at 16. If I had a million dollars at the age I did at 20, when I was still going through this like maturity phase of my life, I think I would be in such deep shit right now. Oh, dude. I think I would have been doing like, I, I just wouldn't have had like the confines of life. No. Like what, if I had a million dollars liquid, like what is the, the motivation to grind? Like my first job out of school, which was like 40 grand busting my balls, trying to get ahead. I, I, my whole life would have been messed up. He, when he said seven hundred, so when he said seven hundred and forty k in a day as a thirty-four year old, like on this podcast, I was like, I would consider retiring. That's why I got to give him credit because yeah. I think both of us, and I don't want to speak for both of us, if we had a million dollars at twenty-one, we would be in a much worse position today than we are now because I don't think we could have handled it, and for this kid to handle it, yeah. uh, is awesome. Go, Mitch. So I, you referenced in the episode like. You know, we're going to get some one on one in the recap, which sure. is good because as I was listening, I'm like, I already had a pile of notes of things I wanted to bring up. So we're going to go twofold here. Okay. Let's do it. I had some reactions to some things that he said, and I want to get your reactions on them and okay. see how they resonate with you. Okay. And then we're going to go like, you know, definitions by Jason Tardik here and just define some things that, like, if I feel like as the voice of the viewer, if I'm doing my job right, I'm saying some things like, I don't know what that means. I hope a lot of people also don't know what it means. And that's why we're going to give them like some, a one-on-one on it. So done and done fire away. The first thing that my reaction is like, again, this guy's talking about going to college as a 21 year old, which is impressive on top of being a, a millionaire day trader on top of being an entrepreneur and having a podcast. Just, I just want your reaction on what, how that like hits you. I'm almost like speechless. Like you think about what you were doing at that age. Like think about like, you know, whatever, chasing girls or like trying to be cool or like trying to buy the next shirt or just like the dumbest shit, you know, going to 25 cent uh, drinks on Tuesday to see if we could stack the cups to hit the ceiling. Like the dumbest shit to think that he's that far advanced in his thought process and that he's spending 18 hours a day like I would love to be a day trader. The reason I'm not, I don't have the time. He's right. If you're a good day trader, you're working a minimum of 12 hours a day. Minimum. When he said he wakes up at 4 to 4.30, I spit out my coffee that I Dude, was drinking. Dude, every day. So you think like, <laughs> maybe, 
you know, you have a night where you have a couple more drinks and you sleep in. No, 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 you can't. If you sleep in, you're well, you just, you lost out on, you can't. So first of all, that he's doing that at that age uh, is incredible. The fact that at his age, he's saying, I would rather work three FedEx jobs in a row than ever go to corporate America is absolutely mind boggling that he knows that. The other thing I can't believe is that his priorities, think about in life, how many all of us go through our whole life trying to please others and trying to do things for other people instead of taking care of ourselves. At his age, he's like, listen, my parents want me to go to college. I'm literally only going to go to behoove them. I have a 2.2 GPA. I'm going to get that piece of paper. He's so he's so ahead of the game. He recognizes I'm doing this so that my parents will just like pat me on the back, but I'm not going to apply any energy or effort towards it because I don't like it. I don't want it. I want to be a day trader. It's he's he's literally years and years beyond his age. I had no idea also that the market opened at 4 a.m. and goes to 8 p.m. Um, is that like common knowledge? And if it's not, why? Yeah, I mean, it's so it's there's there's uh, before market and after market trading. Um, and so people with big dollar amounts have the option to enter the market at that time. But he's also what you're able to see are some of those big institutions, you're able to see what kind of volume is moving at that time. So that is a real thing. And those are the things he's analyzing what kind of volume is uh, is going on when how and why and how it's going to impact his day. Because it sets right. up the precedent for the day. There's future markets, et cetera. Seems a little unfair to give the uh, big money people the head start, but that's, that's the story of there. finance. Yep. Uh, I was going to buy a Ferrari, but instead I invested in a marijuana farm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just that quote in itself is like, you want to talk about 21-year-old differences from, from him to, to maybe some other people out there. That What's your just quick take on that comment? Because I, I, I felt I, that when I was listening to this pod and interviewing him, I feel as though it's the closest representation that I could be in your shoes for what it felt mm-hmm. when you were talking to Joe Galeaze and I mm-hmm. about social media. Mm-hmm. Just like this is a 21 year old who's literally talking about the fact that he's day trading and in the middle of his stock, he's up 700%, which correlated to a $700,000 win. He was freaking out in the middle of his test and told his professor, his professor's like, I don't believe you unless you show me, but if you show me, you can leave. And he showed his professor and then left. So I'm hearing this stuff and then I'm hearing things him like say like, yeah, you know, I was going to buy a Ferrari, but now I'm, I'm going to put that money to good use. I'm going to invest in something I'm interested in, you know, a marijuana farm. It's, like, it's just so like his setup too, that when he was doing the podcast was like such a college, like no artwork on the wall, nothing like plain desk, like just such like a 20, almost like how can you be that? I don't want to say like oblivious and also be that like brilliant. Like he's just ho-humming his way through like the day and it's like, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah he said one thing too, that I actually tell like a lot of my, my kids that I coach all the time for like success. And he said, you know, I, I decided I was going to take out student loans for more leverage to get more like capital to invest. And I wanted to bet on myself. And I think like the, just the term, like betting on yourself is so powerful. Um, I just wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, I mean it's 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 something we could all learn from. It's, it's I mean I, it's it's a common sense thing. I don't even want to waste mm-hmm. too much time on that. Yeah. If, if you're willing to bet on yourself and you're willing to prioritize your time to do what you think you want to do, this is a perfect example. You're going to sacrifice other things for your success. He's sacrificing his GPA, he's sacrificing school, he's sacrificing some of his social life, but what he wants out of life, he's getting and he's getting better than probably 99.99% of anybody his age. 
All right. Last question before we get to the definition parts. What's uh, he said one of his celebrations is he used to wear the same shoes for two years in a row. And now he buys multiple pairs of the same shoes. Like that hit me hard because I'm like, thank you. Like start celebrating your, your, your successes with like smaller, big things along the way. Do you, A, do you think it's important to celebrate small successes? And then B, like, do you have examples for yourself where it was like moments like that, where you actually like, whether it was in the corporate world or like now in your new life, like, were there things that you did where like, you know what, I'm going to celebrate the success? Yeah, I, th- I think celebrating success is so imperative. One thing I lo- I learned with private equity companies, okay? So private equity companies, their goal is to buy companies. Um, they will usually, you know, shell them, split them down. They'll completely scrap them down to the bones and then restructure them, drive multiple efficiencies, put in new management uh, and resell at a huge multiple. And the best way that private equity companies can get new investors to invest in their fund is to show a success. So the second they sell a big company, boom, they got to take that momentum, go out to the world and say, look what we did, look what we did, because that's going to drive more investors. That always clicked to me because celebrating successes are huge. And then building the momentum of a win at that second is everything. So I think celebrating a success is so big, but I think making sure that you're not celebrating so much that you are Mm -hmm. losing this pinnacle because when you're at your pinnacle, it's the best and easiest time to get your next win is huge. So don't be complacent, celebrate your success and then look for what's tomorrow because it's the best time to win is after a win. All right, Jason Tartik, rapid fire definitions. Um, And these all go to like, he talked about his trades, his successes, his 100K days that he had. Okay, I need to get to the nitty gritty and quick definitions of what some of these things mean. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. What is spy? S P Y. I love that. I love that. We already hit the pre market, aftermarket trading. We know that retail investors can use it, but their uh, actions and orders are limited because the institutional investors really get to play. And that is a good way to see what's going to happen in the day you get some updates and information. And now we're going to spy. The other thing, too, about the pre market and aftermarket, David, I didn't talk about is how volatile it is. Yeah. But you'll usually get early releases and, and you'll see how things can trade after maybe earnings release, et cetera. Okay, what is spy? So first of all, SPY is referred to in the financial world. People are, you're going to hear people talk about it. Uh, they'll say the spider index, right? Spider. And so it's an ETF. What is an ETF? An ETF is an exchange traded fund. So I own an app called Fintron. You can go on Fintron and you can buy SPY. It's called S-P-Y. And what it does is it is essentially a fund that mirrors what is happening with the S&P 500. So anybody with an Apple phone out there, you go to your stocks and you're going to see the indexes, right? That's what Apple puts out there. And one of those indexes you're going to see is the S&P 500. And the S&P 500 since inception has, uh, you know, it's returned, you know, from it's like 1957 to 2016, 2018, it's returned in the 8 to 10% on an annual basis. What is the S&P built up of? It's built up of 500 large and mid caps in the United States. So when you look at the S&P 500, it is an index that is giving you a performance overall of these 500 in large and mid cap US stocks in one number. You're putting your money into the SPY and it's mirroring what people call the market. 
Mm-hmm. And that's S&P 500. Does that make okay. sense? It does. Now, yes. one thing a lot of professors at MBA taught me, or, or they, they tried to instill on us, a lot of professors believe that there's something called market efficiency. And that no human, obviously this is an outlier, but no human over a long period of time, that's where uh, Mitch hasn't done it. He's done it in a short period of time. No one over a long period of time can outperform what's called the market. It's impossible. Okay. And so professors will tell you they invest every dollar into the S&P 500 because yeah. that is the market. You can't outperform it. And that's why they're professors. Exactly. Um, <laughs> okay, really quick. I know what this means. I just need it in like a quick example. Okay. You hear like liquidity all the time, like a, like a company's liquidity or like whatever. Like what is when, when you're talking like stock market day trading, like what is, what is, when you hear the word liquidity, what does it mean? What are you looking at? Okay, simple. Liquidity means cash, right? So it will mean how, how often a business or an individual can uh, liquidate their assets so that they, like how much like technically cash they have, right? So okay. how much of an asset can be bought or sold? Now, when we're talking about trading, it's, if it's, it's liquidity will refer to how quickly an asset can be bought or sold kind of in the market. And so how that impacts trading and what he was referring to is the securities price, okay? So liquid stocks that are out there are more easily day traded. Okay, and they tend to be discounted than um, stocks that aren't as liquid. What does that mean? There are bid and ask prices, and the spread of those bid and ask prices will be very influential on the liquidity of the stock. So when you get a more liquid stock, you're going to get a tighter spread. Yeah, it's just wild. It's like you hear liquidity. It's like me like stepping my pinky toe in a pool and you're jumping from like the 10 meter diving bar. It's like, <laughs> but here's where like the big institutions, the more money you have, the bigger splash you can make, mm-hmm. the less you're going to pay in spread. Look at that reference. Look at that metaphor. Okay. Go. This is a big one too. Cause I have, you know, just my only finance buddy. I have many, I have many other guys and they talk about how much money that they're making off like option trading. Okay. I have no clue. I've heard <laughs> of it. I, 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 People out there, I I invest. I, I have stocks, but I'm very like 101, like hold on for dear life. Trade options. Uh, Mitch talks about having a great stomach, doesn't blink at a $1 million option position. Okay. 101. 101 is- options. All you have to know is they're contracts. You're buying a contract. Okay. You buy the contract and then you're given the right to exercise or execute the contract if you want. And if you don't exercise it, you just pay the cost of what that contract is. Can you give me like a, can you give me like a, like an example with numbers? Like, okay, I'll give you an example. Stock is worth a hundred dollars and you want to. I'll give you an example. I got you. Okay. So first and foremost, there's two elementary options you should know about. One's called a call, one call a put. A call means that you think the underlying asset or the stock will go up. A put means you think it's going to go down. That's basics. Now here's your elementary example I'm going to give you. Um, Okay. Let's say you want to go buy a car. So David wants to go buy a BMW, okay? It's 65K. Well, right now you don't want to commit to 65K. But what you want to do is you want to hold that price while you're deciding and maybe buy later, right? So what I would do is I I give you a contract. I said, David, here's this contract. It's a hundred bucks, okay? And with this contract, you have an expiration. In the next two months, you can come back to me and buy this car. Okay. So then you would say, okay, so Jason, I give you a hundred dollars for this contract and I can buy the car when I want within the next two months. What happens if I don't buy it within the next two months? Well, your contract's gone and I take the hundred bucks. Now, what if the car, let's say 
in a month from now is selling for 70,000. So you bought this contract that you can buy it at 65 whenever you want. A month from now, it goes up at 70,000. You can come, Jason, here's my contract. I want to buy it at 65. You could buy it. There you go. Okay, fine. Here's your contracts. I'll exercise it. You get the car at 65. You go down the road and you see it selling for 70 and you go sell it for 70 and you got a $5,000 okay, win. Okay. Okay. Now okay. Here's, a, here's a different take though. But then you go down the road and that car is actually selling for $60,000. Now you have a contract that says you can buy it at $65,000 for the next two months, but down the road, they're selling it for $60,000. So what's going to happen? Well, your contract doesn't mean shit. You're not going to use your contract because why would you execute it for 65K when you could go down the road and buy it for $60,000? So what happens in that scenario, just rip the contract up, it expires, and whatever the cost of that premium is just for the contract is what you would lose. I like that. That's So that's I'm, 101. I, no, I, I, that actually makes perfect sense. It's almost like a, a small, very small risk security for a potential large gain. Yeah, you're paying for the contract. And yeah. if you execute it, great. You can make a big chunk of money. If you don't, you just yeah. lose the price of the contract. There's three, this is 201. There's three parts of the uh, option contract. There's a strike price, there is an expiration, and there's a cost per share in the contract. Those are things you got to know. Strike price is simply the trigger for when you can actually execute the contract. Your expiration is the time in which that asset has to do something, that it hits the price. And then the cost per share is just the premium that you're paying for share that you buy in the contract. Now, I got one more for you. Okay. And there was a movie called The Big Short and I watched it and it was phenomenal. It's a great cast. And I had no clue what short meant after that. <laughs> so can you one-on-one me again? What is a short and like sh the term short pressure? What is, I, I, I know it in a sense, but I, but I don't know, like I need just like the BMW example, give me an example of dollars and cents shorting a company XYZ. So I'm going to ask you a quick question. If I okay. say short, what do you think I'm doing? If I'm shorting a stock, If you're what am shorting I doing? a stock, it means you don't believe in it. Okay. So that's a good connotation. If you're shorting a stock, if you're short selling an investment, I can get in the weeds. I'm not going to. It's okay. a strategy that you're saying that you believe you're speculating the stock will go down. So okay. you think that stock is going down, right? Maybe Kodak, like you're like, oh, they're not, they haven't adjusted. They're going down. Blackberry, mm. they're going to go down eventually. You're shorting them, right? So it's, it's a strategy that should be used, excuse me, by people that really know the game well, because here's the difference. If I buy a share at $7, okay? And it goes down to $0, I know my loss, right? At $7, $0, it can only go down to zero. I just lost $7 per share. If I'm betting against the stock and that $7 goes to 700, that's not a $7 loss per share. That is a massive loss yeah. per share. There is no limit to how much you can lose with a short. Wow. So you asked about the short squeeze. Wow. And I'm staying 101. Short squeeze is what happened with GameStop. This is important that everyone listens. And I'm going to keep it very simple. But a short squeeze is a, is a weird position that triggers a stock to go up significantly because the market has identified that there's a ton of people shorting the stock. And essentially, they come in together to see that there's all these people shorting. So what they do is they buy the stock. And all the people, all of a sudden, mm -hmm. the people that are shorting are mm -hmm. starting to lose their money and money. And as that stock goes up, what happens is, I'm getting in the weeds, but when you short, you have to actually short on margin, which is, which is buying. And there's something called uh, a call. So a, a company will come in and say, you've lost, because there's no ceiling. You've lost too much money. You got to pay us now. Yeah. 
That stock went from seven to 700. You got to pay us. This is really quickly what happened with GameStop. GameStop was trading in the beginning of the year at $17 per share. This huge investor group on Reddit was talking about it. Wait a second. There's all these people shorting this. There's an un, this is unrealistic. Let's buy it. They bought mm. it and they bought it and they bought it. And all these people shorting just kept losing because the stack kept going up. They're betting against the stock. Stock's going up. It went up to a peak of 483 a share. So $17 to 483. Think about how much they're losing per share. Now, a news article just came out that uh, the first uh, hedge fund has now gone out of business. A London-based hedge fund, White Square Capital, lost $440 million because of the short squeeze with uh, GameStop. And Melvin Capital, the one we heard all about, lost 50% in January, and they lost over $4 billion year over year, all because of the short squeeze. And it's a big thing in the trading world right now. The CEO of that hedge fund probably threw every Xbox, PlayStation out the window, hates GameStop, (laughs) no video games for his kids forever and ever. Oh, when you see these guys do interviews, it's hilarious. They are so rattled because they've never seen it. They've never seen the retail trader win because the people with the money and the hedge funds are the people that have always had the advantage and they're the ones that have controlled the outcome. And they got smoked. Uh, stupid question coming in your way. Come in. You said uh, to Mitch, you know, it's never too late to start trading. Like you, you said you're on record just as like a kind of like phrase advice. Like, yeah, it's never too late for all the people out there. It's never too late. Is it ever too early? Like maybe we do have some like 15, 16 year olds on the, like, is there a certain legal age to trading? Like you can't drink unless you're 21. You can't vote unless you're 18. Can you trade at 11 years old? I mean, there is something... Yes, there's something to be said that it's too early. If you don't understand the power of the dollar, if you're using some of these option contracts and some of these, you know, some of these trading platforms don't have restrictions, there was a huge hiccup. And it's 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 so sad. A kid trading option contracts in Robinhood saw his account and thought he was seven hundred thousand plus in the hole and took his life. Took his life. And so this is, you know, this is no joke. This is not gambling. This is not gaming. Mm -hmm. This has to be done uh, with precautions. And this is why that example right there is why you need severe regulation in this place. Now, people are going to tell me to go fuck off because they're against regulation, but there has to be rules and regulation in a game that's this volatile Mm -hmm. and this crazy. Well, Jason, I learned a lot. I saw someone who's 21 who's just crushing the game. And I'm glad that I ended up at the end of this, uh, at the end of this episode, really appreciating, respecting and liking Mitch. I think that his story is incredible. And I think, you know, for 21 years old, there's a lot of relatability that hopefully a lot of our listeners can get out of it. So well done, Mitch. Love that, Mitch. You know what? You said alpha to alpha. And I thought at one point you're going to be like, well, I heard him say the word beta. What's that mean? I'm surprised he didn't throw that out there. Well, if you want to talk about it. Well, I mean, just so you're just like, I'm not a beta. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. That's for you to decide. Uh, I love it. Well, well, we'll wrap up. Anybody out there, beta literally just determines the volatility of the stock. So if you, if you're, if you don't have high risk tolerance, you want a lower beta, lower than one, higher than beta, it's going to be more volatile than the market. But anyway, David is no beta. He is an alpha and he didn't think he'd like Mitch Hennessy, but guess what? He does. Two alphas can love each other, respect each other. It's a beautiful thing. I think this was such a great podcast. I hope you guys took something from it, but we're also taking something from you. So we have looked in the comments. We have seen what you guys are telling us and we appreciate all the feedback. Please continue to give us five stars. Give us feedback. We're listening. We're watching, responding, and we're acting on it. You guys have said that. 
We've had a good amount of influencers. We've had some big celebrities on. But you want to hear from people that are listening to this, that may have some struggles with credit card debt or one-on-one questions with investing or student loan debt. That list goes on. So we were going to actually put out our episode, which we're really excited about, with the girl with no job next week. But we are going to delay that a little bit. We're going to delay that because we are going to do a live Q&A, a live Q&A that people can sign up for on my restart underscore reset IG, which is the home of Trading Secrets podcast. And you'll be able to call in with any question you have. We're going to take questions, give our advice from the curious Canadian, the voice of the viewer, and myself, the host of Trading Secrets. You're going to hear both of our perspectives. It'll be a fun episode. And hopefully, please let us know again in the comments. Give us five stars. Hopefully, we're doing the things that you guys are asking us to do episode in and episode out because this podcast isn't for David. This podcast isn't for me. It is for you. So thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Trading Secrets. Tune in next Monday with a live Q&A, an episode you can't afford to miss. Bringing that money.